All right, here we are. It's another week of Think Like a Star, and you guys are going to love today's surprise guest. So let me give you some fun facts. Number one, this man, now you know it's a man, but this man, he took a company from zero to $37 million in less than seven years, which is kind of a big deal. Number two, he went to school and grew up alongside Snoop Dogg, that's right, Snoopy D.O. Double Jizzle, and Cameron Diaz. And third, last but not least, he survived a drive-by shooting and was shot in the head. Pretty serious stuff. Do you know who it is? I don't think you do. We're about to find out. Buckle up, because here we go. Class is in session. Welcome back to another week of Think Like a Star, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Darren Sugiyama. Nailed it. Nailed <laughs> you it. it. You, you know how it. nervous I was. <laughs> a man of many talents, author, speaker, entrepreneur, got the book right here, and I was telling you earlier, I'm still working my way through it. I'm a slow reader, but you can see it's got the damage, and uh, I've been really tearing into it. I've been at least making a mess with it. That's so, authentic. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the real deal. But I am um, actually really, really enjoying it, and um, I just need more time. So as long as you give me more time, I promise I'll come back. I'll do a book report on it there we or go. whatever you need. <laughs> so we got connected through, you have an Alaska connection. Yes. One of your employees is from Juneau, uh -huh. which I don't know if you know this. I'm from Ketchikan. Arch rivals. Oh, I didn't know that. The biggest rivals. And they are the Bears, the Juno Bears. And we were the <laughs> K-High Ketchikan King Salmon. Okay. So it wasn't really ever a fair fight. You know, it was the Bears against the Salmon. <laughs> and uh, they pretty much dominated us uh, for years and years and years. And we won a few games here and there. But they were definitely the big dogs and we were the underdogs. So, um, dude, I love your story and I'm really glad that we are able to connect. And I just wanted to learn a little bit about how you got to where you are and with all your successful businesses and how you turned them around so fast and your interesting background. So sure. take us way back. I'd love to hear kind of about your childhood and where you grew up. You don't have to talk about anything painful if you don't want to. Uh, it's not one of those therapy <laughs> yeah, sessions. Yeah, talk about yeah, 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 yeah. It's all painful. I got all pain. <laughs> Tell me your most painful memory yeah. right now. Yeah. No, but. So I uh, grew up in Long Beach, California. Okay. Um, real diverse, uh, uh, childhood I had. So I kind of grew up in an upper middle class family, white picket fence, dad was an orthodontist. Um, but Long Beach is a really diverse city, right? So um, yeah. I, I had friends from all kinds of different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, ethnic backgrounds. And when it came time to uh, go to high school, um, I was supposed to go to Long Beach Poly. Okay. So Long Beach Poly is where like Snoop Dogg went, for yeah, example. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, so yeah. So all my yeah. when I think you, I think Snoop Dogg. Yeah, right. Went in the same. Right. It makes sense to me. So all my friends went went to high school with, with Snoop. Okay. Um, but at the same time, this is when when busing was really big. So you had kids from different neighborhoods all going to, to school together. So Cameron Diaz, for example, grew up like three blocks from my house. No so way. So we went to like junior high school together. Okay. So Long Beach Poly had the likes of Cameron Diaz and. And Snoop Dogg sitting in the same classroom. So it was a really kind of an interesting demographic because you got exposed to a lot of different people. And I think in many ways that that helped me in, in, in life and really even in business because regardless of the background someone comes from, there's some piece of that person I can relate to yeah. because I've, I've, I've been around so many different types of people. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's yeah. just a really diverse situation. Yeah. Um, so by the time I got to high school, my parents shipped me off to uh, Los Alamitos High School, which is kind of like kind of like your quintessential anglo upper middle class orange county suburban you know okay okay so all my friends went to school in the hood and, and, and you got Poly. okay yeah then i went to like, this okay yeah. sell out you went yeah, to the right. nice school yeah got, right. Got, yeah right i get the dynamic now 
So, you know, a lot of my friends growing up and, and they went to the poly, I mean, they're, they're dealing drugs and they carried guns and, and there was that kind of element and, crazy. and stuff like that. And then I have this completely different kind of lily white, you know, suburban Orange County, you know, yeah. uh, experience. So I think having like dual residency on both sides of the track, so to speak, um, what was, was I think really valuable because I don't take anything for granted. Yeah. But I also have seen people th doing really well. And so that didn't seem out of reach either. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was a ball player. I played baseball in high school. And then, okay. And then went to, what position? Uh, uh, Feel like you were in, a pitcher. Nah. In high school, I was third base. Okay. Good so, hands. Strong arm. For high school. Okay. So I go to Loyal Marymount University. Okay. And, and my freshman year, we were ranked, um, we were ranked uh, ninth in the nation, uh, NCAA. Okay. And that was one of the most depressing things in my whole baseball career because I got there and realized compared to the All-American guys and the guys that are going to go pro, their skill level was so much greater than mine. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Were you, you weren't doing steroids and they no. were. So that was the difference. I'll go let you right now. The only reason they were better than you were, no, you were the drugs. No, no, just kidding. No, do drugs. No, no. I could, uh, I could hit. Right? Okay. I couldn't run, couldn't throw, couldn't catch, but I could hit. Okay. So I was a DH okay. slash first baseman slash left fielder in college. Um, like power hitter, your cleanup yeah, guy. Okay. Clean up guy, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. And I had a decent uh, college career, but like going back to like where I, I came from, um, I, I came into college with this kind of attitude and this rap of being the the tough guy from Long Beach, and and being one of the few Asian guys. Now, were you, know, you with the tough guy from Long Beach, or was it just a persona? My, friend, my friends were the tough guys from Long Beach. Okay. <laughs> he hangs out with a yeah, tough right, guy, right. so by proxy. Right. Okay. He knows Snoop. Yeah. Real quick, what's uh, Cameron Diaz's sister's name? Shemaine. Do you know Shemaine? I do. I, okay. I, I was small world. With her. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I went out saying I was like I gotta ask Jennifer because uh, we love her. So. Yeah. Okay. So okay, back to the tough guy from Long Beach. Yeah. So I get to college, and and like every self-proclaimed tough guy, it's coming from a place of insecurity, right, and overcompensation. So I was getting in fights all the time, picking fights all the time, and you were. I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. my at the beginning of my sophomore year, um, I, I've got I'm, I'm driving. I got a teammate in the front seat, teammate in the back seat, and it's about ten o'clock at night or so, and, and we're just leaving a party, and and this car pulls up next to us, and they're they're mad dogging us, right? Looking okay. at us. Yeah. Of yeah. course, I can't let someone look at me. Yeah. Mad I mean, dog or yeah, sad dog. I'm not let that just go, don't look. Right? Yeah. I can't yeah. let that go. You got. And I got this reputation, so I I, I speed up in front. Of them, Slam on the brakes. We're going like five miles an hour um, uh, down the road, and I figured we'd pull over and I'd just beat the crap out of them. And there, there's you know just fortify my rep. Stupid. You really were the <laughs> tough guy for long duration. I take it all back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won. I had one fight in high school and I won it by 35 yards. I was so far gone. Yeah. So okay. So this yeah. is the real deal. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Okay. So I, I pull over in the left hand lane and, I, and and they pull up next to me. I'm thinking we're just going to exchange words. We'll pull over and I'll take care of business. And, and before I even had that opportunity, um, I heard this big boom, and my ears are ringing, and I'm, I'm completely disoriented. And I see the car pull off, and I see the barrel of a shotgun hanging out the window. And, and just like that, I realized I just got shot in a drive-by shooting, car-to-car -car assault style. And, yeah. and I think the crazy thing about that experience was, I, I, I distinctly remember it as it was happening, I was not shot. Like it wasn't outside the realm of, of normality that I would get shot in a drive-by shooting because I had these experiences, you know, these, these nighttime activity experiences yeah, yeah, yeah. with some of the guys I grew up with. And um, I, I still remember uh, from the emergency room, it was, I can't remember what time it was, but it was late at night and I called my parents to let them know what was going on. 
and uh, uh, they were out of town on vacation. And so my younger brother, who's four years younger with me than me, answered the phone. And I said, hey, Brandon, um, I'm calling you from the emergency room. I just got shot in a drive-by. And he thinks, like, because I'm always joking around. He thinks I'm joking around. Like, yeah. Yeah, you got shot in a drive-by right. kidding, right? You. I'm like, no, I'm, I just got out of surgery. And, and that really fundamentally changed uh, a lot of things in my life, at first for the worst, and then dramatically for the better. Mm. So it's like, uh, I'm not saying I'm 50 Cent, but like 50 Cent gets shot like nine times. <laughs> you only got shot right? once, okay? Yeah, That's it, like it, it crazy. It, but it gives you, it gives you that, 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 that increased street credibility, I guess, yeah. if, you, if you think that's important to you. Yeah. Um, and I got worse for a little bit. Because now you're the tough guy, you're invincible. Exactly. Bullets can't take me out. Yeah. yeah the rumors are no longer rumors. Like yeah. everyone knows. Here's um, the, and, and how old were you? 17, 18? I was, it was right before my 19th birthday. Okay. So and where'd you get shot? In the head. So with shot, so to this day, I have about 30 buck, buck shots embedded in the back of my skull as we speak. So outside You do have office, the street cred. Yeah, you do have the street <laughs> no, cred. I'm sorry. We're not the, glamorizing, but... I have the stupidity cred is what I have. Yeah. Um, in a frame outside of my office is, is the x-ray of my uh-huh. head. So you see the skull and you see all the little dots. Don't mess with the CEO. Don't mess no, with the boss. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's a reminder for me that every time I start my day, I see that walk in my office and I realize I'm really unbelievably fortunate and blessed to even still be alive to get a second chance to do something good. Yeah. Because at that point, I was doing something's good and something's not so good. Yeah. You know? And that's what I love about stories like this. Not that I love stories of people getting shot, let me yeah. be very clear. Yeah. But my pain is your entertainment. You might, yeah, exactly. I'm loving it. Yeah. But the the goal ultimately is by you sharing your story is that you can keep someone from having to go through that situation where maybe they don't get as lucky or blessed or whatever you believe, you know, from this situation. And 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 we can people can learn from basically your hubris and, and your mistake and you know that I think most teens especially can really re- relate to they feel invincible and I can drive as fast as I want and they want to drink or or not with a seatbelt or whatever the thing is and there's this level of invincibility until you have that thing I, I I've dealt with that and even um I think it was about two years ago I, I got jumped in a bathroom um to some guy I was mouthing off to um Granted, I felt like I was justified, but you never know what someone's capable of. And this sure. guy jumped me and I was lucky to live. Um, luckily, some people came in and I was like, got me from behind. And um, it opened up my eyes of like, I, I remember looking at him in the eye and he was on top of me, holding down, he was like hundred pounds heavier. And I was like, this guy is gonna kill me. Right. Like he had that look and, and I, re- I found out the next day that he'd gone to jail for killing someone before. Oh, wow. So like, I really was lucky in that has radically changed for me in the same way it sounds like it did for you of like someone honks their horn at me when i'm driving here in la or orange county okay <clears throat> sorry like you know what right. i mean like not that you have to roll over and be a doormat for people but you don't know what someone's capable of you don't know if they have that gun in there and they're a crazy person and they have nothing to lose right. and um i mean for me that was the probably the most significant violence that i ever experienced and I didn't expect it in much right. of the thing. Like you expected there to be a little scuffer, but you were probably bigger and stronger or else you wouldn't have pulled over <laughs> or more of you than them. I'm sure you had a few, you're smart enough to have a few of those um, in your hands. So, so you went from, you said it got worse for a little bit. Yeah. What turned it around so that it did go to, all right, like I'm lucky to have a second chance. I want to do something great with my life or help other people or um, just live a more uh, life of gratitude. Was there something else that happened, or is it just a maturity thing? No, it was. It was about a year later. So, so immediately thereafter, um, 
again, I'm going to parties and everyone's, I walk in the room and everyone's, you know, he's, yeah. he's a guy. Um, and and I, I let that fuel that, again, I call it insecurity, but I let it fuel that insecurity. And I tried, uh, I guess, even more so to overcompensate for my insecurities because I had this like track record of, of toughness now having yeah. been shot. And um, I mean, I remember in college going to parties and my teammates would like intentionally be idiots and pick fights with people because I'm with them. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? So Darren's here, D-Train. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so about a year later, um, I, I got introduced to a church. And at the time when I got shot, I was atheist. Okay. So I, I mean, I still remember- Pretty outspoken atheist or just kind of uh, like not- yeah, no, just just not. Yeah, you know. not buying it. Yeah, gotcha. And and I'm in my car, at, and I got blood gushing out the back of my head. I, I ripped my t-shirt because I was conscious of the whole thing. I ripped my t-shirt off, plugged the back of my head. <clears throat> just a few minutes later, you could wring the blood out of my head. I was losing a lot of blood. And and my friend in the front seat ran in to call nine one one, and apparently he said when he came back, I hear him like yelling my name, and I had passed out, slumped over on the wheel with blood gushing. He thought I, I, I was dead. Yeah. So he starts yelling my name. I, I, I come to, and and I still remember this being an atheist praying to God for another chance. Yeah. Like saying, if I, <clears throat> if I, um, if I, if I get another chance, that I I would commit to doing something really good. You know? Yeah. And, and I didn't know at the time what that meant. Like I, I, I was 19 years old, like not, not even 19 years old. Like, what, what good am I going to do? And uh, about a year later, um, became a Christian and started going to church and started uh, uh, teaching Sunday school at, at a church in South Central, and um, that that radically changed the direction of my life. And um, even even since then, there's been a lot of strange <laughs> roads I've gone down yeah, yeah. as a result of this very diverse you know, past, you know. And that's, that's a real testament to, to you, I think, because not everyone would go that direction. And I'm sure there's tons of stories of people who that happens and it makes them bitter. And we talk a lot about um, getting bitter versus getting better and how we're all going to have these situations. Sometimes maybe they're a little bit brought on to us in, in your case where there's, you know, I'm, I'm puffing up my chest and I'm trying to be a tough guy. And sometimes it's totally out of our control. Um, but it's, it's unfortunate but all you can do is the decision of now, what is my <clears throat> attitude going to be? How am I going to respond? Am I going to let this define my whole life? And I, I believe it so much it's on the side of the bus, you know, of the power of your attitude because we all have these, these unfortunate things that happen, sadly, but it's like, like for you, this thing that was a negative thing that happened, like you said, it, it made it tough for a while, but it actually was the thing that made you who you are today and has allowed you yeah. to accomplish these great things and help other people. And I just love it and just want to commend you for using that as a good thing because a lot of people could have got more into the streets and more into the gang violence and more into all those things. But you saw that. And I feel like your parents probably um, in the upbringing that you had, just from the little bit that I've heard, probably had a good um, influence and impact on that as well. <clears throat> sure. um, I, I was the same way, not in the, that scenario, but that I was really blessed to have good parents. Um, that are together and, and encouraged me to chase after these things and, and believed in me. And that's the biggest thing that I see when I tr go around and I um, talk to kids all over the place is a lot of them don't have that. And that's actually what made me want to get going in this in the beginning was they would come up excited after these kind of basketball exhibitions and they would be so pumped about th the basketball tricks. And we went back to Ketchikan 
home of the king salmon and we uh had a game and the kids came up and i actually knew their parents i knew some of their older brothers and it just had um such a bigger impact on me of like there's something more than just doing some tricks with the basketball i could right. write a book i could start speaking um so i think that's so amazing and cool that you were able to to take that thing and be like all right this is going to elevate me to live a better life to be a, a better person so you're sitting here now and I want to talk about your companies and your businesses, and it's a little self-serving. I just, I get a front row, you know, seat to the, the expert and the successful person. So that's why I love doing these too. I'm totally open and honest about it. Like, I want a front row seat to this learning session right now. And, but before you got that, you didn't start going from there to, all right, now I'm going to build businesses. Mm -hmm. We're going to make tons of money and be able to help people that way. You kind of went down yeah. a little bit of a dinner road. And you kind of hinted at, I guess, <clears> like <throat> you were doing Sunday school. And did that lead to... Um, being a teacher or how did that yeah evolve? so it was it was a very convoluted uh, road right so I, I remember after the last the last inning of the last game I played in college packing my bag in the dugout and, and I, we already graduated so the season extended past the point of graduation and I still remember packing my bag and I'm thinking to myself what the hell am I going to do tomorrow morning like, I have to go get a job now. I, have to, yeah. I actually have to I start my career thing. now, I right? Thing. I'm like, yeah. what now? No basketball. No. So yeah. I was like, oh. And I didn't have a clue. And so I had originally thought I was going to get in the music business. I've, I've got a, one of my best friends, uh, four years older than me, that I also played ball with in college, uh, went on to have a very successful career in the music business um, on, on the A&R side. So he, he signs artists, he scouts mm -hmm. artists, he signs and, and, and does that sort of thing. And that, uh, that Snoop guy, that Snoop Dogg guy does a little bit of music too, right? So you might <laughs> yeah, have so a couple of games in the industry. Yeah, yeah he's, he's yeah. a little musically, uh, you know, skilled. Yeah, okay, A&R, right. okay, gotcha. <sighs> so, so I do a couple of internships um, and, and I, I think I'm going that d direction. And, and I get done with school and, and I have no idea what I'm gonna do. And um, I had uh, a girlfriend at the time, and she was from Hawaii, and we'd plan to get married. So I uproot all my career aspirations in LA, and, and I got on a plane and I, and I go to Hawaii. Not a bad, not a bad move. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. What yeah. island? Yeah, Oahu. Okay, yeah. and she's an island girl. Yeah. Okay, yeah. love it. So I moved to Hawaii, and I'm trying to figure stuff out, and I meet this guy at this Bible study, and he was about a little over 10 years, like 13 years older than me, and I don't know what prompted him to approach me like this but you know he was he was married and his, his son was almost a newborn and he pulls me aside one night and says hey i know you're trying to figure things out i know you're trying to go back to school and, and god's blessed us with this this house that's bigger than we need we've got this extra bedroom and he goes i know what it's like to be a broke college student so we'd like to invite you to come live with us rent free and i'm like we talking about <laughs> like yeah you don't even know me man i yeah. got here down to here yeah i got two big hoop earrings i'm a bouncer in a nightclub okay you're, and i'm you're trying like, to figure something out <laughs> yeah with, with with what i'm gonna do for a living and dude's like a straight you sure yeah exactly but i'm like yeah that, that doesn't seem safe to me like for you it doesn't seem safe yeah i'm bringing riffraff around yeah and um i said i you know, appreciate it. I, 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 i'm doing okay but, but i appreciate it and and very slowly became oh, wow. we got became uh really good friends and so uh Kind of a long story, but I moved back to LA and I moved back to Hawaii and I had to take him up on his offer because I had no money. Yeah. And um, <laughs> about that room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need a shower. Offer. This yeah. hair is. And so I lived with uh, that family for, for two years as I was going back to school, get my graduate degree, um, get married, and, and I start teaching and I'm counseling inmates in prison and I'm counseling kids that are locked up in a detention home. And this is all in Hawaii. Um, married for just over a year, and, and my wife comes home and says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Like, out of the blue. And I'm 
I'm like, like, what are you talking about? Like, let's go to council. Let's you know, yeah. figure something out. No sign beforehand. Just out no of, sign just beforehand. <clears throat> okay. And and um, just a few months later, I'm kicked to the curb. I got to move out of the house. Um, my ego is crushed. My manhood is crushed. My confidence is crushed. And I'm like, what the hell am I gonna like? What am I gonna do now? Like, I I have no reason to be in Hawaii anymore. So I stuck around for another year. Finished up my my master's degree. Um, in education, okay. knowing I was never going to use it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I quit teaching. I moved back to LA, and um, I decided I'd be Zoolander. Okay, okay, Mr. Model. Yeah. Mr. I'm waiting for you to meet the icon. I'm like, he's going to meet the icon. He's over at the no, man. cheeseburger so, in paradise. So I had this cousin that is about ten years older than me, female, okay. and she had a very successful modeling career. Okay. And she goes, you know, there's no tall Asian guys really in the business. Okay, come and You got to go talk to. And so I, I go and talk to. I can't remember how many agencies I talked to. They all turn me down. They say you're too ugly. <laughs> Finally got an agency to take me on, and and um, I started doing runway shows. Okay. And then I get on a plane, and I, I fly to Milan, and I try to make it over there, and I go broke over there. Um, and I realize, I mean, I'm getting a little bit of work here and there, but I realize my, my value in the market's plummeting, right? Because I'm getting older, uglier, and fatter. Yeah, as the, yeah, as yeah. As yeah, yeah my stocks right? are not appreciating yeah. here. So like, I've, i got to figure something out. And um, I, I heard a crazy rumor about an old Little League baseball coach of mine that was making over a million dollars a year in the insurance business. And so I, I tracked him down. I went out to visit him at his office and verified that it was true. Yeah. And I, I remember I, I drove back to my crappy little one-bedroom apartment in Huntington Beach thinking to myself, that, that dude can do it. How hard right. could it be? How hard could it be? smart. So knowing nothing about this, I, get, I, I go get my insurance license. And you're how old when you... I'm 31. Wow. 31. Okay. So remember this whole thing about insecurity and overcompensating and get my ego crushed with a divorce. And, and so I'm trying to rebuild my, my manhood essentially, yeah. right? By ripping runways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What he was yeah. to. I'm like, he went from tough guy, gang banging, to now he's ripping runways and putting on moisturizer. Yeah. Cream. Uh, I love it. I love it. There were some side perks. No judgment. Perks. No judgment. Yeah. There were some side perks to being in that, in that world. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I, I get in the insurance business and, and first year in the, I have no, I don't, don't have a clue what I'm doing. So I'm running my, my business out of Starbucks and coffee bean and hotel lobbies because I'm broke, right? I can't afford an office. Going to create your own insurance yeah. company. Yeah. Okay. Okay. From scratch. Yeah. So, so a logical, intelligent person would go work for a company, learn the ropes, and then maybe at some point, no. Not so I you. just jump in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this from, from scratch. Yeah. And... Um, I'm working, I'm not exaggerating, seven days a week, 16 hour days. I just, I'm sleeping in my car some nights. And um, a year into it, my, my, so I got my license on January 3rd of 2003. My personal tax return for 2003 showed a personal income, a gross income of $277. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to make it a high so, beach. Yeah. <laughs> That's a couple <clears throat> lattes. At Starbucks. <clears throat> I'm living off of credit card advances. Okay. Um, I had a little bit in savings, but not much. I'm living like a rat. You no know? model money saved up. No model money okay. saved A little bit, but not, okay. not a lot. Okay. Not a lot. And um, everyone thinks I'm nuts, right? My parents think I'm nuts. They think I'm a drug addict because they never see me. They think, you know, how is, how is uh, he possibly making it if he's not making any money? Yeah, yeah. And, and so that was rough. That, that really drove a wedge between... Uh, me and my parents from a relationship standpoint. I didn't talk to my parents for a year and a half after. And they kind of just, <clears throat> not disowned you, but they were like, they thought you were making bad decisions. Yeah, they, they didn't disown me. They just, yeah. you know, I knew they disapproved and they said some things that I, that I interpreted as being very hurtful. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say they say, said hurtful things, 
it's just because my ego was so fragile and I was so unsuccessful up until that point in my life yeah. that, um, you know, any sort of, anything that resembled criticism, I had really, really thin skin and I couldn't take it. So I, I, I said, look, I'm going to step away from everything that is not overly positive. Yeah. I will only surround myself with things that are uber positive and that's the only way I'm going to be able to have a shot at making this. Yeah. And so a year goes by and, and right at the end of that first year, I felt like I was just on the verge of perfecting um, the reinvention of the wheel, which everyone said don't do. Despite 270 <clears throat> some dollars, yeah. you're yeah. like, this close. I'm yeah. going to reinvent yeah. how the entire industry is yeah. done. And you're saying, everyone's like, don't reinvent the wheel. This is how it goes. And you're like, right. no, we could do it a better way. Yeah. Okay. The self-belief, despite having a fragile uh, ego at that time, there's still a lot of self-belief there. You can call it self-belief, you can call it delusion. Yeah. So um, the next year, uh, things dramatically took off. Uh, the next year, things started skyrocketing. And by the time I hit my fifth year in the game, um, we were number one, in the, number one in the country, number one brokerage firm in the country with three different insurance companies. Um, by my seventh year, I started doing speaking uh, engagements and, and, and insurance companies were hiring me to go and retrain their, their, uh, their people. So one in particular, hmm. um, they said, I was number one in the country with them for the, three years in a row. They said, we want you to retrain our 6,000 agents nationwide. And, and at that time, my company was just shy of, of 40 million in, in sales. And I, I'm like, I'm flattered, but Man, I'm running a pretty, you yeah, know, I'm kind of busy here, right? Yeah, yeah. They said, um, just humor us, and, and, and what would that cost? I don't know what that would cost, right? So yeah. I went home that evening and put together this ridiculous proposal. They'll and, never and say yes to this. It's too much money. Yeah, I charge them three times more than I would have been willing to do it, thinking they were going to laugh at me. I come back with a proposal, and they're like, let's do it. <laughs> no like, hesitation. Really? Yeah. So um, that was 2000, I think, 10. I was in 22 different states flying around the country doing these speaking engagements and motivational talks and yeah. sales coaching and things like that. Um, and at that time, my son was uh, had just uh, been born. He was less than one year old. And so I knew that was not a good situation being a, a new father and yeah. that sort of thing. So I went back and I said, I don't want to do this traveling gig anymore. Um, let's put together a different business relationship. Okay. And so I opened... Uh, an agency within my agency specifically for that company. And uh, second year of doing that, we did a little over 58% of the business for that company in all of Orange County and San Bernardino territory combined Yeah. with a dozen college kids right out of school. So yeah. I taught them how to walk, talk, dress, act, I mean, everything from A to Z. Yeah. Same, same blueprint that I used before. Um, and that went really well. But, you know, I've had some even bigger successes since then, but, but nobody sees... I shouldn't say nobody. Guys like you, they, you don't see the failures, mm -hmm. right? So like people on the outside that aren't yeah. on the day to day, yeah. They think, oh, he's the golden boy. Everything he touches turns to gold. It's like no, nine out of ten things I touch turn to crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> one of them turns to gold. Yeah, and that's the one that you romanticize. The home but, run. Yeah, but there's a lot of there's a lot of failures along the way, and a lot of betrayal along the way from people that you you did so much for, and you know. It's crazy once money comes into the equation. It what they say it doesn't it doesn't reveal character. Well, I guess it does, but it reveals more of who you are. It of amplifies. Other it amplifies. Yeah. yeah. So what are, now I'm curious, what are some of like the, the failures and how do you respond in, in those scenarios? Like I imagine the, what you're talking about with your parents, they just might've been like, maybe, you know, maybe this is like too much 
to try to reinvent the wheel and you want to have you considered going into working for yeah, another company right. and, and learning it yeah. and then doing your right. thing and like you said what they were saying isn't how you received it because mm -hmm. of where you're at in your life so when you hit those nine out of ten roadblocks or failures the things that people don't see or hear about that aren't in the press release or in the motivational speak or may maybe they are in the speech but um, how do you try to bounce back from something like that and, and how do you handle it that's a great question um I'll use the baseball analogy, right? So you, you step up to the plate, every at-bat is a separate at-bat, and every at-bat you take, I should say every pitch you, you, you address, um, you fully expect that you're going to crush that ball. Yeah. But you also, at the same time of, of having that belief, you also know that you got a 70% chance of failure if you're an all-star. If you're the best. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's, it's very, it's, it's kind of a contradictory uh, belief system and thought process because you believe you're going to be successful in every single individual attempt, though you know as, as a whole, as your body of work, you're not going to have a, you're not going to bat a thousand. Yeah. So I think you have to have, to have that individual optimi optimism going into each attempt at anything in life, relationships even, you know? Yeah. Uh, knowing that, that it's, you, not all of them are going to be perfect, and, and quite frankly, not all of them are going to be good. In fact, the majority of them will be not good. Yeah but you're going into it with that expectation that you're going to find the needle in the haystack and that yeah. you don't know which, which, which haystacks may have the needle, right? So you have to approach each one like it has a needle in it. And then when it doesn't, you can't get too depressed or, or bummed out. Yeah, just... It's just one of the seven or it's one of the nine of the ten. Yeah, you know? can't take it personally. Yeah, yeah. So how the heck did you do this? In, it was five years or seven years? Seven you years from we got zero to, to... Just 37. 37 to 37 million dollars. Yeah. It, how much do you feel like of that was luck and how much That's do you think it was question. your expertise, <clears throat> uh, hard work, determination? I'm always curious how people answer that question yeah. and, and, and it's always different. Everyone always has a different kind of thought on that. So I, I'm curious because now I know there has been a lot of speed bumps al along the way and things that <clears throat> didn't work out, but you've had some pretty good successes. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Anyone, I think anyone that thinks they did it all by themselves and thinks that they didn't have some sort of luck woven in there, even if they had a lot of bad luck. If someone thinks they don't have, they have, didn't get blessed with a little bit of luck, they have a major ego problem. Yeah. Like you have to have some deals fall your way. You have to have some relationships work out in, in order to, 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 to go to that next level. Um, I would say by far I had more bad luck than good luck. Isn't that by crazy? far? Yeah. By yeah. far. Yeah. But you only need that one little piece of good luck, and that one piece of good luck only only becomes a, a, a relevant factor if you're just working your ass off. And and so one thing I knew is that I may not be the smartest guy in the room, or the most talented guy in the room, or even the most knowledgeable guy in the room, but I'm not gonna let anyone outwork me. So just by brute force. Love it. If I if I put in whatever twice the amount of hours, I'm not going to get twice the amount of results, or I'm not going to get the same result in half the time. There's a certain multiplier effect, yeah. right? So if if you're doing a high volume of activity, you're going to learn some things along the way, and your skill level is going to improve because you figure out what works and what doesn't work, and you figure out faster. So you have that compound effect of all those little secrets that you were able to uncover along the way, and the sooner you learn those secrets they're all front loaded in the timeline right and so all of those secrets is to compound 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 you have to compound growth yeah within your skill set multiplied by the fact that you're still working twice or three times as many hours as everybody else yeah and 
I would say, unless you're really unskilled, it's difficult to get beat if yeah. you're working twice as hard as everybody else. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You know? Yeah. What's the quote? It's like, you're, uh, it's hard to beat someone who never gives up. And if you're doing it intelligently, it's almost as if you putting in that time and, and being in the car and having that year where you basically made no money, but you were building it, put yourself in the position to even have a shot to get that lucky break, that relationship, that big yeah. breakthrough that came through. And I love that. And I think that's what a lot of people miss in the story. They say they see you up on stage with Magic Johnson yeah. and wearing the suit. So, okay, yeah, so we got to tell that story. So, so you told me a little bit earlier, but I kind of want to, I want people to be able to hear it. So you were at a conference and uh, P Magic was walking around, Magic Johnson for those listening. Yeah. And, and he saw you and I'll let you take it from there. See, a lot of people weren't dressed good, you said. Yes, yeah, so yeah. it was an insurance industry. I would fit in. I would fit <laughs> no, in there, apparently. Okay. No, no, no. They're not known for their uh, fashionistas in this industry. It's a, it's most guys dress kind of casually, you know? Yeah. And, and um, again, I look at, it's not just the compound effect of, of working more hours and, and developing the skill. I look at, it's the compound effect of every tiny little thing you do better than everybody else that seems almost insignificant as a standalone thing. But if you have like, you know, five or 10 unique things that you do, the compound effect of those 10 things is greater than just the sum of the parts, right? Mm -hmm. So dress was always one thing that I knew I could control. Yeah. So I can't control, that guy's got an IQ of a gazillion and I got, yeah. you know, I don't have that. I can't control that, right? I can but, throw some cufflinks <laughs> on. Exactly. Yeah. So I always dress to the best ability um, I say within my budget, but in the beginning, yeah, I was pretty broke. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, instead of it's the old facetious here, but instead of eating, I would spend that on, yeah. on, you know, on, on clothes or, or yeah. whatever it was Image. to create the brand, yeah. you know? So I'm at this insurance conference. It's, it's done by a multi-billion dollar life insurance company and they do this uh, once every other year. And there are probably about maybe a few thousand of the top guys in the industry around the country get flown in for this. And I was one of them. Yeah. And Magic Johnson was the keynote speaker. So Magic's walking around the room doing his thing. And, and one of the most magnetic, probably the most magnetic personality I've ever met of any of the guy just oozes. Uh, he's so uh, nice. Yeah, it's amazing. He's, he's, ma he's magic. He's magical. When I was with him, he made it seem like he wanted a picture with me. Like, oh, exactly. Yeah. Picture. I'm like, exactly. What? Like, okay. But that's like his way of like, I know you want a picture. Uh, right. Like, and, and, uh, and it was just so, like you said, he oozes that charisma and just, yeah. just he's magnetic. So he's walking around the room, he looks at me and, and just stops dead in his tracks, he looks me up and down and he goes, hey man, you look sharp, stand up for a second. I'm like, okay, stand up. <laughs> yeah. he, and he sees the inside of my seat, he goes, oh man, you got the same purple lining I got. He's flashing me his seat, let's get a selfie together, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I know that's part of his thing to make people feel good and everything, but like, well, why me? Like yeah. he could have picked from thousands of people in that room, why me? It's because I just dress better than everybody else. Yeah. And it's not yeah. like, even in the rain. It's not like <laughs> yeah. even in the rain. It's, I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's not. It's not an ego thing. It's not a. It, it's like if if I know I'm going to meet with someone, I want to make a good first impression. Yeah. That's one thing I can control. Now maybe they don't like my suit, or they don't like people that wear suits, or, or yeah. whatever. And that's they don't like. He's too dressy. I want a casual person. I don't know. Whatever it is, yeah. but I, I know that from a, a scientific. Um, uh, sociological standpoint you wear a suit and tie you're gonna get a certain uh, response from people yeah uh, and some of those responses might be positive some might be negative but in my industry I found that it's been really really positive so I'm just trying to eke out every 
slight advantage I could possibly get. Yeah. Because I, I'm looking for the compound effect of all these tiny little things. Yeah. Know? And if you guys want to see the uh, video of it, it's on your Instagram. Yeah. Because that's where I saw it. It's you up on the stage. So we'll link that up in the show notes. Let's make sure we do that so they can click on it and go check it out. And you got a bunch of followers on there. I was like, holy cow, people are really like following this guy. But it makes sense. You got the books. You got all these things going on. So... I have, this is kind of a, you know, I'm doing this one for me right now. This, I told you I'm a little self-serving on these things. So busy. The first time we met you and an alarm going off, that's my five minute warning. Like you very have to stay very regimented to get, to accomplish the things that you've done. And I've, I've learned that from a lot of high achievers. Um, most recently, um, outside of you is, is David Meltzer, who um, I want you to connect with, who's mm -hmm. somewhere here in Irvine. Yep. Same thing, two minute phone calls. Everything is very organized. Um, and, and I love that. And besides that, I'm inspired to like go get a better suit now and step up my whole dressing game because I am one of those people. He'd be like, Magic would walk right by and be like, yeah, how about you? And he would skip right by me and go right to you. Um, but outside of that, you're so busy of all these companies going and you're in charge of all of them. And I've heard it, uh, I think it was actually Tony Robbins talks about, I have all these companies going. So on a good day, how many things do you think are going wrong? Tons on the best day of ever. Course, things are failing. Yeah. People are, you know, doing things wrong. The the fires are having to be put out. So with all that going on, you're also happily married. You have kids. One shot. One one son. One. Yep. Okay. How old? Nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Who's an entrepreneur? We talked about last time. <laughs> we'll, right, we'll get into that story because that's right. a great story. <clears throat> but so how do you? young man trying to figure it out the balance of i feel like i'm kind of in the live in the car grind it out you know mode drive in the rain get the tarp off this thing like whatever it takes right. you know to to hustle and make the thing happen that you believe in that you're passionate in and sometimes people believe in it sometimes people don't but either way i'm going to reinvent the stinking wheel right. so how do you find that balance and i know even on the time i met with you you had it real mapped out and it was i think it was a friday because you're like i'm going home to be with my family and um so i'm just curious how you kind of work the is there such thing as work uh, family balance or, yeah. or how do you navigate that being so busy? There's no balance, but there's a balancing act. Okay. You know, yeah. um, what I try to do, I try to bifurcate my business life from my, my, my personal life. So like you go to my office, you don't see pictures of my family in my office because when I'm doing business, I can't afford to think about my family. I have to think about business. Yeah. When I'm at home with my family, <clears throat> it's not fair to them if I'm constantly doing business or distracted. I'm on, not, not in the moment with them. So I'm certainly not perfect at it. And I don't even profess to be good or even great at it. Um, but I try my very best to when it's family time, it's family time. And my family knows that when it's business time, it's business time. So a lot of people, they don't get that, right? So I told my wife when I first met her, I said, look, when I'm doing business, put it this way, um, is kind of at the height of Kobe, Kobe's you know, career. I said, Kobe Bryant's wife does not call him as he's bringing the ball up the court in game seven of the finals. Yeah. yeah right. And he yeah. If he, even if she did, he wouldn't take the call. Yeah. So don't be calling me in the middle of the day because every day is game seven for me. Yeah. Unless yeah. it's an absolute emergency. Die. Yeah. Now in, in, the trade-off is when I walk in the door, at least on most nights, when I walk in the door and we're having a conversation and someone's blowing my phone up, I'm not going to take that phone call. Yeah. Unless I know it's absolutely you know, beyond urgent, it's a, it's a make it or break it type of phone call. And those and, people know not to contact you. Like, unless, exactly. unless it's literally on fire, like, we'll deal with it when I get in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then I think there's also, and this is something I learned years ago. And I have a little saying, and it's uh, to do one thing is to not do another. 
Yeah. So like there are things that I would like to do, like surf more, right? I haven't surfed since in California. I surf on my vacation, but I haven't surfed in California since my son was born. That's that's nine years nine ago. Nine years, wow. Um, I would like to improve my golf game because it sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I'm golfing on the weekend or surfing on the weekend, that means I'm not spending time with my son. I'm not teaching him something. I'm not uh, fortifying the strength of my of my marriage. And so there's nothing wrong with surfing. There's nothing wrong with golfing. But if I do those things, it means that I'm not doing something else. And so. I, I drew a real strong line in the sand and there's certain things that I would like to do that there's nothing wrong with doing those things, but I just don't do them. So I cut out all the, all the things that I don't deem as being necessary. And I only focus on the things that are absolutely necessary. So imagine the level of focus and, and adamacy and, and, and passion and intensity that goes into the necessary things because I'm not clouded by all the unnecessary things. Yeah. Right. The less things you have to think about, the better you are at thinking about the things that are absolute necessities. So like, here's an example, you're talking about clothes. Yeah. I wake up in the morning, I've got three weeks of wardrobe planned out. So I wake up in the morning, I don't have to think about what tie I'm going to pair with what shirt, with yeah. what suit. It's like, that's Thursday. Monday. Yeah, yeah. Boom, it's on. No, no, no thinking about it. And it got to the point where I got so obsessive about that, I started my own clothing company. So, okay, a lot of the stuff yeah. going on here so this is, is making a lot of sense. Yeah. No way. Yeah, omakase. Omakase. Your own, that's your own. So when yeah. you, when Magic called you out, it was your own thing. Yeah. He wasn't wearing one of yours, was he? No, I was wearing Tom Ford. Th that would have been amazing. <laughs> if he's like, well, that's the same as mine. And you're like, yeah. yeah, well, that's actually me. Yeah. No, that's more of a passion project than, than a business. But omakase, yeah. so are you, are you familiar with that term? It's a Japanese term. No, no. If you go and eat at like a really high-end sushi I do uh, like to do that. Okay. Yes. When you say, I'm going to eat omakase style, what that means is you relinquish all the control to the sushi master. Yes. Okay. And so they're going to serve you the right the right type of fish in the right sequential or chronological order, based usually based on the off the oiliness of each fish. Yes. And so you don't add soy sauce, you don't add wasabi. It's served to you the way it's supposed to be done, and and you're saying because you're the master, you know better than I. So serve me the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah. So if I do a suit for someone, we're not looking at fabric. Don't tell me about the suit you saw in the mall. Don't tell me about what your preferences are. You tell me what you're trying to accomplish. Who's yeah. your target? client who's going to be watching this what are you trying what image are you trying to project and yeah. i will develop if you're in the sound trap i'm going to build you a a, wet, a a sandwich yeah if you're driving i'm going to build you a driver but if you don't know better you're going to try to get out of that sand trap with a putter yeah and it's not going to work trust the master chef exactly i love it so i want to i want to circle back real quick because i have one more so your wife how long did it take for her to be, was she receptive of that right off the bat? Or does that take something that you grow and learn together? And I'm sure just like any relationship, there's figuring things out and bumps in the road. But was that something that was hard to, um, I guess, traverse? Or is it when you find the right partner and you guys get each other and what it takes to work, it, it flows pretty smoothly? That, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people get into a relationship and even get into a marriage and they haven't mapped it out, right? They haven't really figured out like, who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? And, and, and who do I need in my corner? Mm -hmm. For me, I, I, made the, I made a list and I knew very specifically what type of woman would be able to deal with my crazy life, my crazy approach. And so it was very methodical in terms of like identifying who that was. Mm -hmm. So first date, um, 
I asked her about how she felt about a prenuptial agreement. Yeah. On a first date. Yeah, that is. That yeah. Is, yeah. And and um, my wife just was uh, uh, ama is amazing, but amazed me because she says um, equally as blunt. She goes, "Why are you here?" I said, "Like who said which one first? So she says, "I, I can't remember which came. First. I think she she must have asked me this after I asked that question." She says, "Why are you here?" Right? And I'm like, "Why am I like, like here at this restaurant? Why yeah, am yeah. I here at this moment in life? Like, what do you mean? Why am I here?" Yeah. She goes, "Why are you sitting here with me?" Yeah. Wow, that's an that'd... awfully straightforward blunt yeah. question, right? Yeah. And I came back. I mean, I came back immediately with. I don't know what possessed me to say this. I said because I believe you have the type of qualities I'm looking for in a wife, and I want to know if I'm right or wrong. She's like, "Wow, yeah." Now, mic drop. Yeah. What, what are you here for? Which is like that could have gone sideways, right? Yeah. Like if if she's not looking for that, yeah, that's like way too serious on a first date. Very serious. Right? And she said, she looks at me without even hesitation. She goes, "I don't know why any woman would want to name claim to something that she didn't build. I can build my own empire." Oh, I love her. I'm like. Where can we go get married right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and no, let me ask you this: Did you have um, a lot going at that time, or where were you at in the stage of career? You yeah. had you had a lot that could be potentially taken if there was a separation. It was right when I hit critical mass, where um, we were again we were number one in the, in, in the business. Okay, and, but it was like my first year, the end of my first year of being number one in the business. So yeah, so this was taken mm -hmm. off. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a valid question. So, so she comes back with that. I'm like, oh, I like that. I like that answer. Yeah. And then she asked me, why are you here with me? All right. And I come back uh, with my answer. Oh, I, I think you might have qualities I'm looking for in a wife, and I want to find out if I'm right or wrong. She goes, oh, okay. Um, and that was that was kind of the beginning of that set the tone for the relationship. Like we're not here to screw around. Yeah. And she goes, you know, if you think I'm just going to be another notch on your bedpost, you're sorely mistaken because yeah. I'm not about that. Yeah. I'm like, I I've already never done that. do that. With <laughs> <you>. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. is that what you want? I'm not interested in that either. You know. Um, and, and so that's that was really the beginning. So she understood the my my crazy schedule. She understood my method of doing things. She understood um, the prioritization of of business hours. You know. Mm -hmm. And so, like, during the week, we never saw each other during the week hmm. because I didn't leave the office till like, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock midnight on, on every single night. Yeah. And then the weekends, you know, we'd, we'd see each other. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, what chick is going to want to deal with? Like, yeah, who's going to put up with that? Yeah, right? yeah. And so, it, just to give you, you know, reinforce this, this, this uh, mindset that I had, um, I had one of my best friends um, asked me, so how's it going with the new chick? So it's going good, and his wife. Sorry, a month ago. Yeah, she's great. I think <laughs> his, his, his his wife chimes in and she says, um, "Well, you know, it sounds like you really like her." I said, "I do," and I've had the new girlfriend talk with her already. She goes, "What's the new girlfriend talk?" My friend kind of smiles, right? I said, "The new girlfriend talk is I tell her every dime I have gets poured back into my business. So what that means is no expensive gifts, no vacations, no fancy foo foo stuff." Everything goes back in my business. I love this. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, this is what I try to do, but no one goes with it. They're like, <laughs> you ain't bringing enough to the table. To, yeah. to like, I get no. Okay. No, good. But, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of women that are going to, like, be yeah. down for that. Like, who yeah. wants, that's not fun. Yeah. Who wants that? Yeah. And, and so I, I, I tell my friends, why? She goes, she goes Darren, you're, you're way too hard on these girls. And I look her dead in the eyes and I said, trust me, my future wife will appreciate it. So all the money that I could have spent on all these silly little girlfriends along the way, not yeah. 
No, no. Watch this. Yeah, yeah. They're silly. You're right? silly. Right. You're silly. <laughs> and we only <laughs> made it because we got rid of you and we kicked no. you to the curb. That's you, Isabel. Yeah. No, 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 no. Just kidding. Hey, all, all the money I could have spent on on a, on these relationships that were temporary would have been taken away from the permanent relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you can ask my wife now. Is she, is she glad that I took that stance? Because even when we were dating, like the most expensive gift I ever bought any girl was $150. And we're making millions. <laughs> we're making millions. Yeah. 150 bucks. Okay. And that was only a couple times, you know, and, and a lot, there was a lot of, there were a lot of Valentine's days and a lot of birthdays and a lot of, a lot of, you know, Christmas and stuff like that, where, um, my girlfriends didn't get gifts. Right. Sometimes cause I could, I literally could not afford it. And sometimes because that X amount of dollars needed to be reinvested in my company. Yeah. Um, you have no idea how many girls I'm going to send this podcast to. Just listen to this. Just listen to this. Screen I want you to see out. what success. So would you... You want, to get to, you want to get to the no fast. Yeah. Because every, every minute, every day, every, right, all that time that's being invested in this new relationship that's not going to be last is taking you away from investing in, in all of this and the yeah. vision that you're trying to, you know, that you're going to build. You know? yeah. 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 You need someone on board that understands that and is willing to suck it up and quote unquote sacrifice in the short term because they want to build the dynasty with you long term. Yeah. And that's a unique, that's a unique woman. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very unique woman. This is good relationship counseling for me. <laughs> so my, my last, my last question in the relationship, uh, end of things. Um, so would you say, this is a tricky one. I feel like, would you say that you put work as your number one or the relationship as your number one, or you're kind of able I'm kind of giving you an out here, mm -hmm. but you're kind, of, you're kind of able to have, this is my number one during these hours, and this is my number one during, I feel like you have cheated the system, kind of, <laughs> of like, I have two yeah. number ones, because I, so I grew up in the church, went to lots of Christian schools, and the example that we were always given is you're supposed to treat your spouse or your partner just how... God did the church right. and, and Jesus gave his life for the church and that's the ultimate sacrifice and putting someone else as your number one. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of been in my mind. That's how you navigate. You each have to be putting each other number one or it won't work. So how are you doing that? How are you able to do that? Because it seems like, I mean, obviously you're making it work and, and, and happily and have a child and all these things. Is it kind of that? Is it, is it the time? It's absolutely that. I mean, I'll answer that question in like, there's more than two stages, but I'll just say two stages, okay. right? So when I was single, I absolutely put the business first. Yeah. The relationship was, a, I mean, would even say it was a second. I mean, it was definitely not number one. Um, but what I was looking to do was, was screen out the wrong ones and identify the right one. And so if, if the stress test is heavy in the beginning, you're going to weed out a lot of the ones that are not, yeah. you know, that are yeah. right or die. Yeah. Right. The one that, that, that looks at you and says, I see the potential on this man. I see where he's going and I want to be part of that. And I want to be, I want to, I want to help him build that. That's a completely different woman. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure it works the other way too. If you have a driven woman and, and she's looking for the right guy. Yeah. I'm just speaking for myself personally. I was looking for the woman that could run the show in the event that I was in a coma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that the chances of her having to run the show are slum to none. I just want to know that she can. Yeah. Yeah. And she'll never have to. Yeah. Hopefully. Right? Yeah. 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 Right? God willing. So th that, that was the, the beginning. Then when you get married, um, we went through a transition. Man, the first two years of marriage, we want to kill each other. 
Really? It was awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. the worst two years ever in yeah. both of our lives. You ask her too. She goes, "That was the." We've been married for 12 years, 10 of the happiest years of our lives, you know? Yeah, 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 10, 10 of them were good. It was like the terrible twos, okay. Yeah, it was rough. And, and we were both type A driven people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was she had a, a great career uh, before we even met. And, and a lot of the things I think that attracted to us, attracted each other to us, were also the things that were like our Achilles heel in our marriage because it was like this competition thing almost, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm used to being number one and she used to be number one. and. And it's like, wait a minute, how come you're not recognizing me as being the most important? I'm always the most important, right? And she's yeah. saying the same thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I, get, I, get very, I get very emotional when I talk about my marriage and the relationship I have with my wife because she made a conscious decision to take a back seat and let me lead. Yeah. And for a type A person, yeah. it's very to difficult for them two. to let go, right? Yeah. And, and when she did that, our, our marriage completely changed. For the better it, it was amazing it was magical yeah and what what i think a lot of women don't understand first of all you gotta find the right man that's worthy of of entrusting that much responsibility to um but when you do that it's like because i know she puts that much faith in me i'm that much more faithful to her i'm that much more wanting her to shine and for her to have a great setup yeah you know and I, when I say set up, I don't mean just buy a bunch of expensive crap and, and that. I'm saying I want her to have her own interests and have her own passions and have her own successes and have her own identity. Yeah. You know, so she's not you know, Darren's wife. Yeah. You know, she's Amelia, Amelia Sugiyama and, and, and I'm Darren Sugiyama and Darren Sugiyama is married to Amelia Sugiyama and, and vice versa. And, and I think that that allows each person to have an, uh, their own individual identity. And we, we both have our own successes uh, independent of each other. And so when we come together, we're choosing to be together. There's no codependency. I don't need her to do what I need to do over here. She doesn't need me to do what she's doing over here. But man, when the forces combine, yeah, like she has amplified my success and create opportunities for me in business that I don't know if I would have been able to do that without her. Yeah. And that's how special of a woman she is. It's a perfect storm. Yeah. Well, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. It's relationship hour. <laughs> no, so I have to ask you, done, done with, the, with that, now that I've got a lot of uh, to think about. I mean, a lot, that was a lot for me to digest. I'm like, okay, running through all this. Um, I love the book. Like I told you earlier, I still have not finished the book. I'm a slow reader. But as I'm learning more about your story and the suits and a lot of these things, I'm saying, okay, I'm seeing where this comes into play. So why, with everything else you have going on, from the business, from the family, from all these things, running all of this stuff, why, why are we writing books? It's a lot of work. It is a lot It's of a work. lot of time. And, and this is very well written. I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, people, go check this one out. It's really, really good. What made you want to do that? And I want to talk a little bit about this one. Sure. Um, it was a, it was a, it was not a planned thing. And, and I don't use a ghostwriter. Everything that's written is is me writing, and I have a very distinct style of writing. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's not grammatically correct, right? It's 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 um it's how people talk. Story. T- it's it, great storytelling. Yeah. Thank you. So when I started doing these these speaking events and, and motivational talks, etc., um, like every speaker, they always have a book, right? So I figured, well, I might as well write a book. Yeah, and, and I'm always gonna get, I'm always gonna get 
uh, multiple purposes out of any piece of work that I do. So I figured, okay, I'll have a book and sell it when I'm, when I'm speaking, but I'll, I'll use that as a training manual for one of my own companies. Mm. So I took, I took all these notes from every seminar I'd ever attended and every seminar I'd ever spoken at or, or, or taught. And it's funny, in, a, in our guest house on our property, I got all these paper notes under the three ring binder. I got a pair of scissors and I just start cutting stuff out and putting them in stacks, categorizing everything. And so each one of those stacks became a chapter. Okay. And that was my first book. The worst written book I've written of, of the five, because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. my first book. Yeah. You're like, I'm piecing together puzzle pieces yeah. here. But that book really put me on the map. And, and the title of the book was How I Built a $37 Million Insurance Agency in Less Than Seven Years. That catches people's attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I guess I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of books in that space yeah. you know, to, to start with. Yeah. So that's kind of what put me on the map. The second book was yet another attempt at writing a, a training manual for my my people in my company internally. Yeah. I said, well, I might as well turn this into a book. Yeah. And so that was sign more a prenup, a, sign a prenup, yeah. sign a prenup, sign a prenup. That's <laughs> yeah. book number two. I already got there. Sign a prenup. Keep the money. Okay. Right. Gotcha. That was a very that a was a step by one. step process. Yeah. Living okay. outside, living outside the cubicle. Okay. So uh, it's it's directed toward entrepreneurs and and how your your mindset has to be completely different when you're when you're doing your own thing, building your own okay own thing versus just showing up in a, a nine to five. Beautiful. Um, the third one was very uh, industry specific. Okay. So I'm in the wealth management space. Most of our business is, is life insurance related. And so it was really to break down, like demystifying the very confusing world of investments and, and insurance. Um, and, and, and that one, it's called Ouch, um, how my financial advisor lost me $930,000 in three years. Which Based on a true story? So you're you're, wow. get, you're seeing the, the trend here, right? Yeah, yeah. Something, something, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we need one of these here. We need yeah. one of these. Yeah. Uh, every every major, we'll call it every major failure or setback I've had was the launching pad for me to go to the next level and the next thing. And so, uh, to try to make a really long story short, I, I was in my mid 30s and I built a pretty successful company and, and started making money. And so I hired a, a financial advisor. His financial advisor gave me this advice, and he told me to do these things, and I, I, I was putting away 200 grand a year towards this, this plan for me and my employees, and three years goes by, and I have no idea what, what I'm doing. I just trusted the financial advisor. Yeah. And something told me, uh, maybe it would be prudent to understand what the hell you're doing. Hmm. So I hire a tax attorney to come in and do an internal audit, and he, he audits the, the plan for, for a week, and he comes to me and says, I, I got really bad news. Uh, he says, you're $600,000 deep into this plan. You have zero account value. Um, you got to unwind the entire plan. And uh, on top of all that, you owe the IRS in the state of California uh, additional $330,000 in back taxes, penalties, and interest. So this guy just didn't know what he was doing or he was taking you to the cleaners? He didn't. I, I don't believe it was malicious. Mm -hmm. I believe that he, like a lot of guys in, our, in that business, they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and the reason I say that that was a great launching pad was because that experience is what led me to start yet another company in financial services. Yeah, yeah. So we deal with high net worth business owners uh, and we analyze what they have for their own retirement planning and their own life insurance, their own investment portfolio, et cetera. And, and we transparently, maybe this is what the teacher in me, we teach them what they have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not exaggerating, over 90% of the time what they have is garbage. Yeah. And they just don't know it. Yeah. Because you're like, well, I'm going to trust the experts. Yeah. I'll go to them and I just hope that they do the right thing. I love it. And it's a common theme throughout your life of having these failures. But instead of them like 
kicking the curb and you giving up and being mad and bitter at this guy, you're like, that failure is just going to be feedback. And what can I do with this? Well, not only can I bounce back from it, but I can actually help other people from having the same thing happen to them. And I can find a way to make money by helping them do that and fighting that need in in the marketplace. Um, And that's one thing I love about your story. And um, it's people, and when I look up to people or listen to speakers such as yourself, and it's people who are actively living the things that they're talking about. So you're still living the out, like you're living, not only have you lived it, it's like you've lived nine lives. <laughs> These ups and downs, I don't know, it's not nine books yeah. yet, right? Yeah, you're not to nine, we gotta yeah. get it to nine. Cause right. like each one is a different story in a different phase of your life, whether it's the relationships or the beginning of the businesses or being in the wrong business and, and, or being in the wrong relationship in Hawaii and then going all these places. It's, um, it's, it's I always like learning from the people who are, are actually doing the things they're talking about as opposed to the person who's just got all these good tidbits and facts which is probably good too but for me i just connect when it's like you see them working it i see you got the short time you have to be this place you're wearing the suit you made the company you got the book like you're living it so i think the best example is when people are actually doing those things and they're your actions more than your words with that being said, I want you to share the story about your son because I feel like he sees your actions in, in the things you probably aren't even aware of, like the cutting out from your notes and stacking these things and doing all these businesses of what his interests and things are that he has going on. Yeah. So um, tell us about his little uh, you know thing he got cooking up. He's got a lot of things going At on. At nine. You know, um, when, I, when I knew I was going to be a father, I had... I had, not saying it was right, but I had the very clear vision in my mind what I wanted to teach him. And I wanted to do it early and get certain things ingrained in him. Um, The last chapter of my second book um, is a letter to my son. That's kind of the summary of all things of what what I believe what being a man is all about. Yeah. And this may sound a little bit morbid, but I wrote that because in the event that God takes me home earlier than expected they had a schedule that I could teach my son from the grave yeah so um that being said from gosh you're good born before he's everything born, is thought out in advance yeah yeah, yeah. It's not before, he, right. before he was born you had this I was writing it as my wife was pregnant oh gosh yeah <clears throat> My type A is like lowercase, lowercase lower A, <laughs> no, and lowercase yeah, no. A. No, no that's always I love right. the foresight. No, I love it. At yeah. least there's intent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I had the right heart. Yeah. yeah. So, um, at a really early age, I would have these conversations with my son about like money, like yeah. what it takes to make a certain amount of money to be able to buy this thing, this toy, this meal, even you know, this this these uh, fortunate living accommodations that we we enjoy. Um, when my son was four, um, I sit on, on the board of a, a nonprofit foundation that funds uh, orphanages in Mexico called the okay. Corazon de Vida. And um, so when my son was four, we took him down to visit one of these orphanages. Now imagine, kid's four years old, right? Yeah. What's an orphanage? Yeah. So I'm, I'm explaining to him, like, you know, son, these, these kids don't have a mom and papa. He's like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, they don't have a mom and papa at home. Well, why not? I'm like, oh, God. This is going to get deep now, right? Yeah, yeah. Because some of yeah. their mom and papas didn't love them, and they left yeah. them on the street, and they had to... And my son's, like, trying to process all this stuff. And I'm thinking in my mind, is that too much for a four-year-old yeah, to take on? Yeah, But I'm so glad I did it. So we're there, and, and he's playing with the kids, and he doesn't understand haves and have-nots. They're just all kids, right? So he's playing with his, with his, his friends at the yeah, orphanage. Yeah, yeah. At the Gee end... Friends. Yeah. At the end of the, the evening, 
he starts to gather up all his things and he's got some Legos and stuff. So he starts putting his Legos back in his Ziploc bag. And there's this one special needs kid that has his favorite Lego piece. And my son, he's four, right? He comes to me and says, Papa, that boy over there has my favorite Lego piece. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look. How are you going to get yeah. the Lego this situation? Yeah. I go, son, you're going to have to let that kid just have that Lego piece, man. Just give it to him as a gift. We'll you get see? you a new one. Yeah, <laughs> he starts walling up with tears. Oh, and yeah, it's four, tough. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I reiterate, look, these kids don't have a mom and pop. They don't have Legos. They don't have the things that you have. Sometimes they don't have food. Yeah. All right? And the reason, I don't care. I want the Lego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but he was... My, my son was like Yoda reincarnated. Like, he's a really wise soul, you know? And he's like, okay, okay. I'm like, that's it? Okay. I get it. All right. So he turns around, starts walking away, takes five steps, turns right around, comes back to me, says, Papa, can I give, give that boy all my Legos? <laughs> I'm like, that would be awesome. Yeah. Runs over the kids, calls all the kids and spreads out Legos. It was the most pure act of giving right the joyfulness of 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 an untainted heart giving pure right? and selfish pure and unselfish and and i think giving him experiences like that at a really young age he views the the world through a different lens yeah so for his eighth birthday i can't believe you went for this either um uh, i said hey you know you're turning eight what do you think of this deal mama and papa will buy you eight gifts and Instead of having your friends bring you gifts, let's have them donate toys and supplies and toilet paper and toothbrushes and, and money to one of the orphanages. And then we'll drive down to Mexico and we'll, we'll, we'll deliver all the supplies to the orphanage. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this kid ain't going to go for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting the Because yeah. I wouldn't go over that at eight years old. Hell yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay. So we threw this big party at the house and we have fantastic friends and, and we raised a little over four grand and... And all these supplies on top of that, we took them down there. And, you know, you have an eight-year-old that's fired up about delivering these supplies to the orphanage. And as all the kids are playing, you know, water balloon fights and everything, my son has a mop. And he's going around and cleaning up behind the kids. Yeah. And it's like, I think we're on to something here. Yeah. You know. That's wild. At eight yeah. years old, he has a servant's heart. and there's an, I think those experiences, and that's one thing I've taken away from traveling of like you always just see different things and you become more appreciative you know of what you have no matter like where you're at whether it's the high or the low that we've talked about today yeah. it's there's always someone out there who who has it worse than you it's that simple stuff your parents told all of us when we were kids right and mm -hmm. there's someone who would just give anything to trade places Absolutely. with what you have no matter where you're at especially when you're going to those places and and i i've actually um been to some of those um orphanages and it's like just they're just so excited just to have your attention, just to have someone there that's taking an interest in them, yeah. let alone an eight-year-old who's, who's bringing, you know, surprises and, and mopping up. I mean, I just, it's going to be exciting to see what he turns into and where he takes us yeah. with this, this, uh, I don't know. I think today's, in today's world, especially where I'm at in LA, it's, um, everything has an agenda. Everything, it's like, a, oh, like I'm doing something nice for you. Like I give you the, a gift. A, a proverbial present, right. but I'm hoping to get something back in right. return. You know, there, and it's like the example of, you know, from the mouth of babes, from from kids, it can be the best example for us. And I, I think that's a beautiful one. I feel like the best way to end it. I do have one more question though. Sure. It's not about your relationships, relationship, or past relationships. Um, but before we do, the book, the businesses, the speaking, 
where do people find you online? Where's the easiest place for people to check you out so we can make sure they go and, and take a look and, and look into more of your uh, more of what you have going on? Yeah, uh, com is my main personal website. And then from there, you can link off to all my different you know companies. Uh, handle on Instagram is at DarrenSugiyama. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So last question. Yeah. You're going back. You might have heard this one before. I know, I know you're a Lewis House guy. You go back. I'm not a Lewis House guy. Oh, you're I not know of him. Okay, I'm okay. a Jesse guy. Uh, you, know? <laughs> you know, you can be both. You can be both. You can be both. <laughs> my loyalties run deep. Yeah, man. he's like we have, we have. Well, you're my bouncer now. So next time I'm going at uh, Long Beach, I'm gonna be like, hey, is it clear? Do I have the key to the city? Do I need to check with you, Shemaine? Who, who's going on? That's such a funny little trio. Um, so, you go back to your 18-year-old self, and this is before you've had your incident on with the with the getting shot. Yeah. And you're kind of, you know, you know, you're running in the wrong crowd and you have these um, decisions that you're making that could put you in jeopardy. What would be the one piece of advice that you'd give the younger version of you? And it doesn't have to be that one. It could be later in yeah. life, something that runs true through it all. But if you only had one one thing, what would be your most um, biggest piece of Man, wisdom? Man, so many things. Isn't it hard? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can give a couple. You can give a couple. couple. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, uh, one would just, just live with a heart of gratitude. And understand that even the bad things that happen, the heartbreaks, the letdowns, the failures, the things that didn't pan out um, according to your vision, um, be grateful for those experiences because you never know, you never understand, you really understand God's plan, right? It's like uh, my friend that, that took me in, in in Hawaii, right? We're still best of friends and I, I, that guy literally changed my life. His family changed my life for yeah. forever. Um, and he taught me this. He said... Imagine sitting on the curb and watching a parade go by, and you see the you know the, you see the band go by, then you see the the Marshall girls go by, then you see the elephant go by, and all this kind of stuff, and and, and you kind of sort of remember what already you just saw, and then you see absolutely what's in front of you, but you don't really know what's coming next or what's coming you know ten yeah ten acts down the road, and he said that's our human perspective. He says God's perspective of your life is like sitting on top of a skyscraper and looking down. Seeing the beginning, seeing the end, seeing everything that happens in between there, and in all the, the continuity of all those events makes sense from A to Z, but it's hard for us to make sense when you're on like F. Yeah, yeah, you have that <laughs> yeah. short-sighted yeah. vision. And G that ain't looking so good. Yeah, 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 And you start you start to resent F and G, and, and you don't realize that those things had to happen to to, the, to either gain wisdom or experience or, or perspective to go to the next thing. Or maybe some of those experiences were like tests. Like I got this huge blessing for you lined up, but I got to vet you out first to make sure you don't screw up this blessing. So you got to be tested, you know, fire tested in the beginning. Yeah. And so I look at all these things like, why did I have to move to Hawaii and, and get married and divorce, get my heart broken? Well, I had to meet my friend Bob. Mm. And I met my friend Bob through my ex-wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Wouldn't happen without her. Yeah, and so, so my, Bob and his wife, Charlene, and his kids completely gave me a new perspective on family and, and, and how to live right and, and how to be generous with people and, and how to accept people. And, and, and so from there, all these weird things had to happen. Like, I wouldn't be... The, the, the business partner I have today and, and, and my newest company I have today that we're unbelievably excited about, that would not have happened had I not been screwed by all these other... Yeah. Oh, business partners along the way. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's just like I couldn't appreciate what an amazing woman my wife is had I not had some of these other relationships that like schooled me up a little bit. Yeah. You know, so 
kind of a long-winded answer, but being grateful for the inconvenient times and the difficult times and the heartbreaking times, as opposed to resenting them and saying, oh, look at this guy. He's got it so easy. It's like, man, you don't know what that guy went through. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you, you say, well, you have this perception of yeah. me because you've met me in this little window right here. Yeah. But there's this whole backstory of, of not good things. Yeah. And failures. Yeah. That, that couldn't, that can't see it from in the parade. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. I went to your website after we met the first time in the very first video that I watched, um, really spoke to me. Okay. So I'll go back to the first thing. I'll stick with this. So, so the very first thing that was on that first video that I saw was you talking about enjoying the journey. Mm -hmm. And that has been such a thing, thanks to Miss Jennifer in my life this year, um, of learning how to, like, looking forward to, like, oh, these amazing things are happening and we're going here. And I'm, like, always antsy and itching to get to that spot where when you talk about maybe some of the best memories are when you were in that car Absolutely. and you were grinding out. It wasn't at the time. But like you were just saying, it led you to those next things and, and learning to enjoy just where your feet are. And that was so inspiring to me and reinforcing this thing that I've been struggling with this year. And, and even on the, like, the, the other point was when you go through these difficult times, these tribulations, your ability to go, okay, I learned a lesson. Here's the feedback. Here's going to move on and be great. Instead of getting angry, I, I've had a heck of a year with people in my life, whether it's financial advisors, um, people who are in business with all these things, lying, taking money, burning us. And it sounds like yeah. we skipped over a lot of people who, like you said, <laughs> yeah. friends, friends yeah. who you lost through doing different, you know, just life and, and business. I asked myself, am I happy in what I've done in my career thus far? Mm -hmm. I'm happy with some of the results I've gotten. But when I was asked that question, I couldn't honestly say I'm happy. I'm happy in in what we've created here because I've been betrayed so many times. Yeah, I was my life was full of resentment and anger and bitterness. It's like, OK, I've, I've had some successes and I got a nice lifestyle and being able to afford to have some nice things. But I'm resentful and bitter. Yeah, it's like, man, I don't want to live like that. I do not want to live as a rich, bitter man. Yeah. Right. It's like you see, like the the stereotypical, you know, uh, uh, wealthy, grumpy, old, you know, yeah, you know, multi-gajillionaire. Yeah. There's a reason why he's so grumpy because the money never made him happy, and in the process, all that did was attract like bad people yeah. into his life, and 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 that's why he's 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 grumpy and, and bitter and resentful. Yeah. And I look at some of the things I did in the overall brand. And, and how I marketed a lot of my companies. And it, well, a lot of it was, um, I'm the mentor. I'm the, I didn't say this, but like, I'm the guru and I'm gonna show you the path and I'm gonna make you successful. And then you're gonna owe your life to me. Yeah. And my ego gets stroked and yeah. you're gonna make lots, lots of money. And, yeah. and how am I gonna attract people like that? And so I got this picture on my website of me sitting in my Ferrari and all this flashy stuff and this whole flashy image. Yeah. I found attracted the people that wanted the flash over the substance. Yeah. Like you sit down with me, we start talking about like the real stuff. I could give a crap about a car or a jewelry or Just any toys. of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know none of that stuff makes you happy and you know it, but we get caught into this belief that people aren't going to be interested in us unless we have stuff. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe you're fortunate enough to build something where you've acquired all this stuff. Now you have all this stuff. Yeah. And you're attracting these people that want your stuff. 
and then you get bitter about it. Yeah. And and I blame myself because I led with the flash. Yeah. Now it's like I want to conceal the flash. Like Jeez, I want to have all that if I have this stuff, I want it in a garage somewhere where no one ever sees it. And I always and I want this because I enjoy it. Yeah. And what I found was a lot of the flashy stuff that I thought brought me happiness. It was a fake happiness because the happiness came from someone else looking at me thinking I was somebody. I mean, this uh, fails in comparison, but like happiness, I've heard like the quote, happiness is the new rich. Of like, yes. if you can find fulfillment and, and that joy and, and what is your motive? And that's something that I have struggled because I'll judge people. I'm like, their motive, like, you know, it's pretty easy to read people. You know, like your motive is you want me for this. You want to get to this person or you want this thing. But at the end of the day, I don't really know their motives. Only I know that for me and you know that for you. And, and I just admire that you've been able to define those first two questions and then be like, okay, but am I happy? Because yeah. on the outside, it's like, yes, happy, perfect life, perfect this, perfect. But are you in doing that self-evaluation? Am I turning into the, the bitter guy who feels like everyone's trying to use them or needs these things for people to like them? Like whether I was a fisherman making no money, would they still like Darren for Darren? Yeah. And I think that is very, I think that's very profound. So I love it. I better wrap. We got to get you back to the office. We got millions to make. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Nothing is going to make you happy. It won't make you happy, but I'm ready to do 